Hi everyone, welcome to episode 10 of I'm Not Fine. It's gone fast, hasn't it? It has gone very fast. Yeah, today you might, I don't know whether you will notice this with our, um, the quality of our speaking, but we are in a different location. Not coming to you from the bathroom floor. Yeah, I guess we thought we'd draw a line where we had to invite other people into the bathroom <laughs> to sit down, like it would be a bit rude. And you can't so, fit four people in the bathroom. No, you can't. You can't even fit your new doggo in the bathroom really with us. Um... So today we, um, it's a master, it's number it's a 10. Master, number 10, so we're doing something special. Yeah, really special. Something we've been wanting to do for a while and something that we had a week delay because of um, lockdown. But we are back and we are, well, technically we didn't actually leave you guys, but we are back in what we were hoping to do, which is our carers episode. Yes, we're very excited for this. And I know that a lot of people have been anticipating this episode, so we're very excited to be able to bring it to you today. And we've yeah. got two very excited but trepidatious guests. Yes, <laughs> trepidatious. What a good word. Um, yes, so we have my mum, Lyle. Hi, Lyle. Hi, Em. Hi, Meg. Hi. And my mum, Katrina. Hi, Em. Hi, Meg. Hi, Lyle. <laughs> and hi, everybody else. Yeah. Hi, Katrina. Um, yeah, we've obviously been wanting to do this one for a while because we think it's really important for carers out there to know what's happening, but also those people who care for carers. Yeah. And um, as people with lived experience and having an eating disorder, it's also really great to appreciate what your supports do for you. Yes, and that how they can be supported to keep going for you. Yeah, definitely. So um, we have a few questions we're going to ask our mums today and hopefully um yeah I think I think it will be good I think we will cover some ground um and yeah hopefully provide an episode that we reflective but also a bit instructive for people out there who might yeah. need um some insight or a helping hand or if you're wanting to help but you're not sure how yeah it's a tricky one we can give some tips on that today yeah um so should we just get right in with the yep. questions? Start with the questions. Perfect. Um, so to both of you, how much did you know about eating disorders before we were diagnosed? Perhaps, Mum, if you'd like to start. Okay. Being a nurse, I probably had a, a, a vague idea about eating disorders from a, a very textbook medical, somebody doesn't eat enough, and they're unwell and that sort of a perspective and also perhaps personally um, because within my family there have been experiences of eating disorders so I've perhaps seen or, or had conversations with members of my family personally about eating disorders yeah but I'd say that I really didn't fully appreciate or understand what what's involved yeah um i don't think either of us did i think yeah when i was diagnosed it was very much that concept of i have been eating too little i need to eat more yes and i think that we we saw it as being well no you need to eat more and if we told you you need to eat more at some point in time you'd, you'd come to that same conclusion yeah um, which <clears throat> Now that we're a little bit further down the track, we know that's certainly so simplistic. <laughs> Just a little further, yes. Um, it's a nice idea. It is. Yeah. It's a really nice concept. 
Um, and I think it would be nice for everyone if that was the reality. Yeah. It's, it's something I think that you're not only educating yourself as you go along in, in the actual um, mechanics of, of the eating disorder, but you're also trying at the same time to, to keep your other family members in the loop, be it your, your partner, um, other children and, and, you know, parents, siblings. So it, it feels like you, you're trying to sort of educate the world around yeah. you whilst you're also learning yeah, about really, what eating disorders are. And it must be a really tough position yeah. to be in. There'd be a lot of conflict and confusing at times. Extremely confusing. Yeah. And I think I found that even in the medical circles that we were dealing with early in your your illness then, we got conflicting information yeah. there. Because depending on where we were, either from the GP or from perhaps yeah, a specialist a hospital setting, each health professional had their own level of understanding. Yeah, and that can be really uh, almost dangerous, destructive. It can sort of place an eating disorder in a, a different light that might not be what an eating disorder is. Yes, I think there can be a lot of debate about is this um, an eating disorder or is it something that's physical? So yeah. even within the diagnosis initially, there's a lot of uncertainty and yeah. different theories being thrown around. And, yeah, I thought I, I had a reasonably good understanding beforehand and it was really quite, I suppose, um, it made me doubt myself. Yeah. Um, that I didn't know as much as I felt I should know. Yeah, and I guess it's that should as a mother but also as a nurse. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Mum? How much did you know? Um, I, some of it's actually probably quite similar. I was a nurse in a previous career life too. I'm not now, but I think um, having had that nursing background and then raising children, particularly daughters, because um, obviously Meg's diagnosis was quite a lot later than Emma's, um, there was that idea of almost like a preventative approach yeah. to yeah. your upbringing. Yeah. Um, so you had this idea of what causes eating disorders, what they look like. So, you know, you really tried not to have those things like focus on foods or weights and all yeah, that sort of stuff because yeah. you think that will um, help. Oh, and you're also, I think I was thought I was um, vigilant in yeah. looking for signs, you know, if you talked about body image or things like that. Um, and that all just really came a cropper when, you know, when the diagnosis came. Because, again, as you were saying, Lyle, it's so entangled in many other, it, well, it could be this, it's the same overflow of symptoms with this. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it causes you then to go and have a look at, okay, well, what actually an eating disorder isn't just um, not eating food, um, jumping on scales 10 times a day, run, running around the block or... Yeah. You know, yeah, whatever people yeah, might think it is. Yeah, wearing yeah. baggy clothes, all that sort of stuff to try yeah. and hide. Yeah, it was so, 
much more complex than that. Yeah, and that must have made it hard for both of you, I imagine, sort of. Um, I know from an outside looking in, you sort of sometimes you doubt yourself whether it is what it is. And I know, like, with relapses and stuff, there's that part of you that wants to believe that it's not happening or that it's a different thing altogether was that wishful thinking but also like yeah you were aware of the signs and I guess also with Meg's trajectory it's sort of um you might you might have almost felt that you got through the danger zone of like yeah very much so and look obviously once it all unraveled for want of a better way of putting it you look back and you go oh that's what that could yeah that's what that could have been yeah but I guess at the time it didn't scream eating disorder No. no and in all honesty it could still not have gone that way other people you know I've got friends who've had similar experiences in terms of anxiety and responses to you know university life and things like that and it hasn't necessarily gone this way yeah 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 whereas we were probably at the other end of the spectrum with um an 11 year old Emma thinking this she's not a teenager and this is a teenager yeah yeah and um yeah hoping and wishing and thinking no it's not going to be and yeah which is understandable to have that thinking because you don't want the worst and I guess now that we can look back on eating disorders as we know them they are pretty much the worst yeah pretty bad (laughs) um yeah it's an interesting crossover that you um are both nurses or past nurses but yeah what do you think yeah. I think the realisation too that I've discovered that um, eating disorder, it, it, like it's a diagnosis but it's also a manifestation of yeah. other mental health conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so much more multifaceted than mm. what we think. I think, I don't know, my understanding now would be that eating disorders are rarely in isolation yeah yeah whereas they were a standalone i i would have thought when Mm. i was first nursing it was like you know you could have this this or yeah yeah it was Mm. a in either or not a both yeah and it's that makes it even harder to deal with Mm. and that tends to be perhaps a little bit more within with mental health issues doesn't it there's Mm. often a um potentially a crossover of a couple of things, eating, anxiety, depression, mm. eating disorders can have issues with yeah, both of those things. Yeah, which makes it hard to catch. Yeah. And once you have caught it, it makes it hard to treat. Definitely. So I guess now that we've talked a little bit about the um, prior experience, how did you both feel when we did get that diagnosis? I I was absolutely stunned, dumbfounded, devastated. I, I suppose I knew enough that um, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, I remember trying to tell your, your dad about it and, and say how it was going to be and I think we both ended up sitting down crying because we knew it was going to be tricky. Then I suppose it was a case of um, working out how we 
what we said to other people. And I, I suppose yeah. we were a lot more upfront at the time maybe than we should have been. I don't know. But that was kind of the way as a family we dealt with it. Um, and that was hard because we then told our, our mums and our siblings and that was extremely hard because from my side of the family, yeah. having had eating disorders there already, there was a, a very clear awareness that um, there were troubled times ahead. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was a really hard, really hard thing to to hear and to have to digest and to work out what it meant for all of us. It certainly is a. a a family illness, I suppose, in that yeah, respect. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. No. No. What about you, Mum? I remember when you found out we were sitting in my car and my psychologist said that I had to tell you <laughs> before you came to an appointment the next day. So I remember sitting in the car telling you and trying to be so blasé and chill about it and just <laughs> pretend no. like it was nothing. <laughs> you wouldn't minimise that. No, no, not me at all. Um, so I imagine my tone probably didn't match the gravity of the situation. Yeah, when you say something like critical about yourself and you just laugh, it's yeah, disconnect. Yeah. Well, it was it was very clear that you were quickly having to tell me something before you were outed, basically. <laughs> That's essentially what happened. Um, which is ironic because while it still was very much a shock and it, you know, um, there was shocks to follow after that it also wasn't a shock because no. I think you were telling thought you were telling me this well-kept secret but <laughs> I'm not silly I know that if someone is going to see a psychologist a dietitian yeah. as often yeah. as you were that it's whatever's going on is not okay and it's not um not small yeah 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 um but again it, it opened it didn't happen immediately because again Meg was a little bit different because she was an adult so I was trying I had the double because initially she didn't want me to tell the rest of the family yeah, and so hard. yeah so there was that um trying to respect her yeah. privacy yeah. as well as my need for support and things Absolutely. like that so mm. Would have been such a fine balance. Yeah. So sorry, I probably did tell some people. <laughs> That's quite but, all right. You I know, think we're a bit open with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Almost people that you could trust because yeah, you know, you would need that. I would need that. Yeah. To, to be able. And I at the time I wouldn't have even thought about that. I would. I was still on the mindset that this crazy I woman can, saying this about me but mum look just yeah <laughs> I'm fine and also I can deal with it on my own I don't really need any help I'm just telling you because it might come up in conversation <laughs> <laughs> and I think actually what we were was more confronting than you telling me was and probably similar to you it was when we met with your psychologist the next day and hearing her point of view yeah. and not having the um everything is going to be fine mum focus um of going okay actually you know what this is yeah even yeah. bigger and this goes way deeper than if we get her to eat yeah and think differently about food everything's going to be okay yeah 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 and I think it sort of hits you how layered recovery is yeah mm. and it went yeah 
but also that there's no, I don't think anyone gives you guarantees that there's an easy fix. No. no. And that's what you want when someone. To. And that's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely yeah. tried to say it was an easy fix. Yeah, pretty much our name of the podcast. I'm fine. It's yeah. fine. It's my catchphrase. It's, yeah. It was. It's not anymore. That's something that I actually learned very quickly in terms of your diagnosis was that Meg's very much a, a rule follower yeah. so that if you could get her to, to agree to something to a certain point, you've just got to trust that the health professionals, the rest will unfold. Like when you first went in and you were, um, absolutely only committing to this um, three weeks or 28 days. Yeah. Um, and then the woman on the front desk said, I would just get you to sign this now um, in case you need an extension um, so that we don't have to worry about it later. And I thought immediately then, okay, this isn't going to be 28, <laughs> 28 days. days. But I also knew that once you went there, you're not silly. Yeah. If you open yourself to what's on offer as hard as it will be you'll yeah yeah try to be open to it and I think as a, a friend and a housemate watching and she's gonna like squirm but like Meg does have that incredible ability to open herself up to professional help and to actually seek the help and she's cringing <laughs> um, so yeah it was sort of like like you know week lockdown there wasn't really a week lockdown last year it was your admission <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just like 20 24 days sort of thing no so. <laughs> did, did the whole thing yeah um okay enough of embarrassing men <laughs> sorry about that um I guess sort of looking at how you felt upon diagnosis <sighs> retrospection is really powerful what would you say to your past self from that diagnosis onwards anywhere throughout this journey what would you what's one thing you would tell your past self that you know now <laughs> something that would have been helpful if you hadn't had a podcast at any <laughs> point in the journey yes <gasps> i think Katrina. yeah sorry i'll go, go for it <laughs> um again i think we're in quite a different position because there's probably lots of things that have changed in the last 15 years that you yeah, think, so whoa. Um, so I'm looking probably at about four or five, yeah, about that. Um, and I'm probably at an age now too where I'm like, you know what? There's actually probably not a lot I can tell you. you yeah. just got to, I've got to know that what I was doing then was, I was doing what I thought was best with the yeah. knowledge that I had. Yeah. yeah. And so I really try not to do look the back yeah, and go, I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have, way back then I should have thought this as soon as she did this. You know what, this is, and I think at whatever age, it's their journey. And, yeah. Yeah. And my role is, is to encourage Meg to know that she's got the skills within her. So I yeah. don't think what... I I don't think I would do anything significantly different. Yeah. I hope that's the answer. <laughs> you might have a list of five things I should have done differently. No, I agree. I think, I think you did do what whatever was best with the skills and knowledge that you had at yeah. the time. You, yeah. And perhaps from that you could give your past self the self-compassion that 
you're doing, doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you I think can't it's, do it's, what you, more than what you're capable of. No, and I don't think it's a matter of, yeah, looking back and saying things that you've done wrong, but perhaps looking back and saying, yeah, you did you did it right. And that was actually a big spin I because it, it was really tough to not immediately and you go into try and research because trying to go, it has to be something in what I did as growing up or yeah. how, how we parented or, or something. Oh, I forgot, lost my train of thought there now. That's okay. No, but I, well, I know, that's what it was. I actually spun it around to try and go, well, actually maybe she's managing this so well yeah. because of her upbringing. Yes. Like the Ill, illness isn't necessarily because of her upbringing, but maybe the way yes. she's doing now is. So I, that's what I do to get myself through. <laughs> no, I think that's. I think that's such an excellent way of looking at it and so true as well because eating disorders, they really don't discriminate as we've looked at no, through yeah. our entire podcast and it's what you do with the eating disorder from that point that counts. And, yeah, I think that's a really powerful. Mm. A good yeah. message. Yeah. How about you? Um, I think, yeah, I spent a lot of energy and time in those early early weeks months um beating myself up and and yeah looking for the reasons that this happened um so I, i'd probably yeah look back and say give the advice of it's 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 okay it's not something that you've done or, or not done or anything like that um i'd also try to sort of say to myself that you, you can't expect things to change fast. We were looking for or hoping for, um, you know, it to be all over after the first event and, and to then have relapse after relapse after relapse um, sets you up for just, I suppose, um, subsequent disappointment and distress and everything else. So kind of, I suppose, accepting that it is a relapsing illness yeah, and that there's not a lot you can do until it's within the person who has the illness's um, ability to be able to, to make the changes themselves. Yeah. So to not feel as though you're you're wholly and solely responsible for keeping that person alive. I think that was the the, um, the pressure that we as parents placed on ourselves in those early days. Um, and perhaps it took a long time then to, to hand over some of that responsibility to, to Emma. Even Emma as a child, I think, we perhaps didn't give her enough responsibility in certain ways. Mm. So... Yeah, it, it's been a um, yeah, it's been a, a long journey, and I suppose there's so many different points in time that I have other bits of advice for myself, but I can't remember now. <laughs> it's, it's been yeah, it's sort of lost a little bit in the mists of time. Yeah, I would think the younger your person is that you're caring for, the harder it would be to not think you have to fix it in some way or that you're mostly responsible for how this is going to go. Yes, mm. look, you do. You do very much feel like that. 
And I think I didn't help matters by being a very petulant child. <laughs> um, and wanting things that I thought were me, sort of, but were governed by my eating disorder, like wanting to be around certain people in hospital so that I could, you know, be around the cool people, but it was very much to be around their eating disorders. And your ability to stand strong against that one was so necessary. And I think there is that real balance at any stage of life to allow somebody to take control and have the autonomy, but also to know when something is really not going to be helpful Yeah, and putting your foot down. The other thing actually that I think was something I didn't learn until a little bit later was that ability to see Emma and her eating disorder as two very distinct entities. In the early days, I hadn't learnt that. I suppose you learn these things through education, through reading, through talking, but, but really not just paying lip service to that concept, but actually... Um, doing it so that we could acknowledge to Emma that we were very much on her side but we were not supporting her eating disorder but nor were we wanting to punish her because her eating disorder was there and and such a significant part of her her entity at that at certain points in time through her illness and that has waxed and waned but I think if I could go back and say anything, I, I would, would have really liked to have known that very early on and been very able to make that that clear distinction. It's a very important distinction, that one. Even as someone with an eating disorder, it takes a while before you can separate yourself from the eating disorder and a lot of practice to be able to keep doing it. Yeah. And knowing that all of your actions and behaviours are not something that's necessarily driven by you but is driven by an eating disorder which is a separate entity yeah and sometimes you can be really really sure that it's you but yep. it ain't. <laughs> um, I think in your defense if you go back 15 or 20 years like when I when I was looking after um, patients with eating disorders there wasn't that distinction I yeah. think it's really helpful yeah. to be able to it say is. that but we would look at that they're like that. They've got an eating disorder because they're this, this, and this. Yeah, like it was all the and one I think, thing. And I think, unfortunately, that still is sometimes a thing, especially um, in medical settings where they might not have the psych training. There's yeah. a lot of this idea that the patients are just acting up or wanting mm. attention. That sort of concept is still very, yeah, very to the front of the mind of people who don't actually understand eating disorders. Yeah, definitely. And it's been very helpful, I think, in supporting me caring for Meg now is to you know she'll say something that I think is oh is that you or is that your eating <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes mum does like to pull that out yes and again be... because Meg can't lie she's usually <laughs> it or she will say it's me with like a little smile <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't really help my case but it, it does help my case <laughs> All right, next question we have is a very important one, I think. How did you both look after your own health while trying to look after someone with an eating disorder? I found um, when Emma was first diagnosed, I stopped working. I just started a new job and I felt that if all of my focus and attention had to be placed on 
Emma. And so I, I stopped working in this new job. And I didn't work then for three months. And it really did my head in going in and out to the hospital every day for three months to the point that I actually then contacted my workplace again and said, please, can I just come back and work for a day? And I did. And it was a wonderful day. It was the ability to be able to leave at the front door my home life, walk in there and take on my work persona was just, it was revelationary. And the other thing that was really telling was when I went to the hospital after work that night, Emma had actually eaten something for the first time in probably two and a half months. Wow. So I continued to go back to work, obviously not um, full time. It might have been one day a week, but it was a part of that looking after myself in terms of keeping part of me um, engaged in normal and everyday life. Aside from that, somewhere along the road there, I decided to get a bit fitter and do some exercise. And so I fell in love with um, spin cycling. Which is terrifying. Don't know when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, and that has been just a, a brilliant thing over the years to, to keep fit and active, but also just to change the mindset. And playing netball, I've stopped now, probably stopped about three or four years, but I did play for many years with the team of mums from primary school who knew the story with our family and what sort of we were dealing with, but wasn't necessary to go through it all. It was to get out on the court and have a good run, play, spend some time sort of um, socialising, I suppose. And perhaps get a bit of that pent-out frustration. Exactly. <laughs> out. Um, the goal attack. Oh, yeah. Well, as a goal defender, I was able to <laughs> really, really, yeah, get, get bolshy. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that it takes. Anything takes, yeah. <laughs> so really focusing on getting that endorphin rush but also filling your bucket and getting the yeah. the social mix and the work. step back from yeah. dealing with an eating disorder. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that helped significantly and um, was was actually keeping a bit of a diary when things were really bad so that it actually meant you put it on paper and you could then close the book and put it aside and felt like you had gotten it out of your head, sometimes more successfully than other times. Yeah. What about you, Mum? What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> How did you look after your own health when I was unwell? Um it probably similar things, just trying to look at what I needed to really focus on self-care, I think, yeah. in general as mothers that can go by the wayside. So it was about looking back at what made me feel more centred, for want of a better way of putting it. But I, I really like um, starting my day with... Uh, cup of green tea and maybe doing some journaling yeah. with Eben and, and out of that um, and doing meditations. I like meditations and walking is probably the biggest thing. Um, yeah. Talking with a few close friends yeah. mm. when I need yeah. to. 
um, I think actually educating myself too yeah. was yeah. really helpful. I think that did help making you feel better about it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think educating myself, like you go, well, how's that sort of self-care? But it is because it helps you. It's to, empowering. It's empowering, yeah. Yeah. Gives you skills. I know I did a, um, a carer's support workshop twice probably the first time myself and the second time with my partner and that was helpful because it gave us very practical skills for how to work with Emma and approach the eating disorder and yeah we felt better prepared to be able to um, manage when um, things became problematic and also talking I, I spent quite a lot of time probably speaking with family members who were um yeah, close family members who were understanding of what had happened either because they had been in that situation as my sister had been with her daughter or with, um, you know, other other folk who were just really good listening ears. Mm. I think um, talking to, to other people, it takes away that um, the shame that can come yeah. Yeah. with it and that sort of thing and you actually... I had a few instances of conversations I've had with people that I've known for years that they it allowed them a space to open up about mm. things and um, so that had, a, I think, a, probably a double effect. Yeah, yeah. Probably was good and for think, them. And, yeah. Well, well that, that can sometimes, though, have another effect in that I had a couple of women ring me at certain points in time to tell me that, they had had similar experiences um but to say that it was you know something that could be lived with oh okay that's <laughs> very unhelpful <laughs> yeah. which yeah. was slightly worrisome yeah um yeah. i didn't see it as an illness that should be lived with yeah, yeah. so and, and also sorry i'm just taking a bit of time here Go but for it. <laughs> um I, i've been to a few support groups in my time too and there are support groups and support groups. Yeah. yeah. And I think that being aware of a support group perhaps that is, um, I'm going to say arbitrated and that's not the right word, um, you know, when someone is there facilitating, facilitating is, is perhaps a, very helpful because mm -hmm. then you potentially don't get one or two members of the group wanting to, to sort of take over the conversation and lead it down dark paths yeah. of how dreadful things can be and yeah. and, and it becomes more like there's a, all these comparisons yes yes it's a little yeah. bit like carers comparing how how bad their eating disorders experience is yeah. and, and that would lead you to feeling more depressed when you leave rather than less yeah, yeah that's a really good point i think um in any like group of people yes. there will be comparisons there'll be competition um i think given the competitive nature of eating disorders it makes sense it does make sense that yeah there would be some competition yeah. in a one-upping sort of way yeah and it's sort of i think um trauma can be competitive i think it's people who want to provide their insight and it's coming from a good place it's coming yeah. from i get it like i really get you but it can yeah, create a culture where you, if you leave a conversation feeling worse than you went mm -hmm. into it with, it's a really important, like, like 
I think we've talked about this in friendship groups as well. Yeah. Like if you leave a conversation feeling more disordered <laughs> than you did when you're in it well, initially. It, good, it didn't serve you. No, and I think it's really important when we talk about yeah, carer supports like that, that you have to see whether it's a healthy one or not. I can't. I was just going to say I came across a term last year with a lot of COVID stuff and that sort yeah. of thing that I think applies in the situation and the, the term comparative suffering. Yeah. Um, that that's not how it works. That it don't, it's not helpful to say, well, this is my experience and it's much worse than yours. Yeah. Or the flip side of, oh, my experience isn't as bad as mm. yours, yeah. so I should have it together. So, yes. Yes. So Equally as dangerous. Yeah. 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 Um, do we want to mix it up and do the last question just before this one? Just asking sort of just goes nicely. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, you can do whatever order you want. Oh, thank you. Um, I was just wondering from that, what is helpful for supports in when you're helping like as a carer, when you're helping um, your loved one, what is helpful from people? So we've heard that um, getting those calls, those cold calls, <laughs> about how you can live with an eating disorder for the rest of your life, it, that wasn't helpful. And that idea of suffering being a competition or being on a hierarchy, that wasn't helpful. What mm. is helpful as a carer? What would you like other people to know? Um I would, and, and this was very much a thing in our family, I think, we would um, almost broadcast before an event oh, yeah. at, at the home, um, like a quick ring around, you know, please don't ask Emma um, how she's feeling or don't tell her she's looking well. <laughs> don't make any personal remarks about how she's looking, how she's sounding, how she may be feeling. In fact, just don't. Talk to her. <laughs> don't, no, maybe not quite that. Don't talk to her about her life. <laughs> but don't, don't ask, don't make any subjective comments because yeah. that that often then would, Could would be obviously a trigger. Yeah. be a trigger. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't without necessity from your part. It wasn't you overreacting. That was very much how people <laughs> had to handle me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I think, well, but I think it is also really handy for everybody to know that someone who is has an eating disorder will look at you know how people are viewing them and and turn it around in their mind their eating disorder just twists it so much so that that I think was really useful to know please um, don't do that I'll hand over to you Katrina I've lost my train of thought now so I'm gonna um Again, I think it's probably slightly different experience having um, Meg as an adult. Um, what was helpful, what's helpful for me is um, when people still celebrate um, all the good things about yeah. Meg and just will carry on as normal. Yep. Inverted commas, normal conversations and things yeah. like that and talk about all aspects of big yeah, yeah. so it doesn't it, yeah. yeah it doesn't they're not just asking about recovery yeah. and treatment yeah they're treating you more than an illness yeah yeah, yeah. and i guess the flip side the things that weren't helpful um early on were things like oh my god i can't believe this happened to meg 
Yeah. Like, but Meg so together, but Meg so this, and you're just like Meg's still all those things. Yeah, yes. and she's human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very important. Yeah, I think that's yeah, both excellent points that you sort of do have to take your cues from the person, as you were saying, and from the carer. So if you're looking after someone with an eating disorder, don't be scared to tell your friends, tell your family what you need and what's yeah. helpful and what's not helpful. I think especially what's not helpful because there's so much stigma around eating disorders and so much that you don't know unless you have to know it. Yeah. That maybe being told what isn't helpful. Yeah. So then you're not worried about a faux pas. Yes. And yeah, you step true. back. Yeah. If you know what's not helpful or what not to say, then it almost makes it easier to engage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, as with most things with lived experience, you do have to take your cues from the people who are experiencing yeah. it. Um, so it's really good, yeah, for people to take their cues from carers who are knowledgeable about this area and can say what's helpful and what's not helpful. I think the other, well, obviously the elephant in the room is about food and, and meals and social yes. eating. Yeah. And, and I know that we would be clear as to if we were potentially going somewhere for a meal we might have eaten before so we would say that earlier if, if mm, meals were yeah. really tricky yeah so that people would would know what to expect or yeah. what not to expect um yeah I think we were still we we're still wanting to be social as a yeah, family yeah and you don't want to be ostracized or left out because of an illness yeah exactly I think it's also really important, I don't know if this really goes with it, but um, giving your time to people who are on your side kind yeah. of and people that you can trust. Yeah, Because absolutely. I, it was a bit of self-preservation and also respecting Meg's privacy, I wasn't interested in, in having conversations with people who were really only, I don't know, asking, asking yeah. fishing yeah. because yeah. they want to. Because yeah. there's yeah. this morbid curiosity around yeah. eating disorders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, yes, I think the other thing that's not helpful on any level at all, and it comes up so frequently, is how much does someone weigh? Yeah. Yes. That, that is just... It's irrelevant. So you wouldn't ask someone without an eating disorder no. that. So, so for anybody out there who, who knows someone who's supporting a carer, that, that isn't at all a helpful conversation. No, yeah, to not. yeah, thank you. That's a really important one. Um, I guess... The last thing we wanted to speak about is just acknowledging that um, both of you have very different um, experiences with caring for someone and especially after the year that was, 2020, with um, sort of long distance everything, I guess we were sort of wanting to hear from you, Katrina, um, how you go about supporting a daughter long distance because obviously you're in Queensland and Meg's in Victoria most of the time. And then, of course, mum, from a different point of view, like we're geographically quite close, but sort of looking at how you were able to go about caring for a child to teenager to adult. So to your last questions, um, Katrina. Um, I think it was possibly good and bad, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason it all, let's say, unraveled so rapidly um, was the fact that Meg moved away and I think it was much harder to mask things because things were just tough with moving away and that. Um, But I guess we were very clear and I'm lucky to have a supportive 
family, yeah. myself, supportive husband, um, supportive workplace, that it was pretty much just a given that any time I could drop anything and have to go, which I did. Did do that yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, and I think for Meg, my perspective, knowing it was hard for her because she doesn't want to um, inconvenience anybody. No, <laughs> never. Um, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but I think the fact that she knew that she could actually do that yeah. meant that she actually had to do that less. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, Just knowing that I could do it was a good, I guess, backup plan in um, a way. Yeah. But it also did give me the ability to work through some things myself because I knew that if I failed, for want of a better word, that I could call on you and you'd be able to come and help. Was it an element of finding it easier with the distance, like being able to call or FaceTime was easier than talking in person? Yeah, definitely. Not having to do it face-to-face. It didn't. It didn't make it less real, but I guess there was a level of disconnect yeah. where I felt like I was asking less, which made me feel better, even though that probably wasn't what was actually happening. Was it... Um... I was going to say, I think it was actually helpful, though, that Meg wasn't, because I think we are very close, and I think she does, and because that's one of the things I look back on now, and, you know, people would say, oh, Meg is so polite, Meg always asks me, and and I look back now and go, oh, Meg, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's fine. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Meg's lack of probably risk-taking, or it was actually self-doubt and things like that that I now look back on. So I think her actually being... In another state, actually forced her hand on that. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. Um, and because I had multiple people say to me, especially when she went in as an inpatient, yeah. why didn't you bring her? And we did, we did look at going to going, going to Queensland. Yeah, why didn't you just bring her back up? Why didn't you just pack her back up? And it was like that would only solve part of the problem for a very yeah. short amount of yeah. time. And I know myself that Meg has got everything inside her to deal with this yes we're here to support her but she needs to know that she can do it and I think you having by not bringing me back to Queensland made me realize that I could do it because you believed that I could do it and I think also um giving you the time and space to work out why you want recovery yeah not being not doing it for someone else yeah and not being yeah felt like you were forced into it yeah Yeah. because as compliant as she is there's still as you say has to be for longevity sustainability whatever um it still has to be intrinsically there yeah so otherwise she would have got to a point and satisfied all the the ticks from the outside perspective but it wouldn't have been sustainable no no yeah I think we found that. Oh, that that actually, just you saying that, Katrina, makes me realise some of the difficulties we had in going from Emma being a child who had an eating disorder with through to a teenager and to an adult in that it delayed so much of that what one would consider normal developmental activities. And, and so we, in many ways, also delayed potentially treating Emma um, as an adult far beyond the years when she had actually become an adult because her eating disorder seemed to have kept her in that suspended, um, almost early teenage stage of being yeah. all over the shop 
Mm. And, and one of the things that I, I really look back now and realise that we potentially should have tried earlier and harder in, in handing back more of the responsibility of managing her own life in, in small incremental bits, like, you know, just even organising her medications from the chemist. Um, and then, you know, working up to that, <laughs> working up to, you know, taking control of her, her Medicare card and um, yeah. things like that. I suppose it all just seemed like we were we thought that we were perhaps helping by keeping it Absolutely. simple, doing yeah. these things for her, but in a roundabout way we were perhaps not giving her the the indicators that we believed she had it within her to do those things. And and it was probably only in the last few years that we've actually really stepped up our game. And probably it was through any number of um, different experiences, one being a very weird session with a consultative doctor that <laughs> Emma's other doctor had found. But anyway, it sounds like a podcast in itself. It did help. <laughs> and yes, we did sort of move the goalposts and yeah. um but it gave a change of perspective. It did. But even so, last year before you left, it's like, oh, we, we forgot to teach you how to cook. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and there were some crash. Lessons, yeah, but I think variable. I think as we were sort of saying, you can't force some tanned in recovery, and I don't think it was like I think it was it wasn't you as parents picking up your game. It was very much me picking up my game in terms of I actually want to recover. I want a life, and I think a lot of the time you as parents do what you need to help us survive. Yeah, and for a long time, there my goal, everyone's goal, was to like to survive, and that's what we did because that was all we could do. Hmm. Um, so I very much don't think it's about lifting your game. I think I've inherited the part that you were talking, <laughs> the perfectionist, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's very much you only do as parents is to like cherish and to keep alive and Meg's figuring that out now with a new puppy like you <laughs> want to keep it alive yes. um and there are limitations to what you can force onto somebody basically against their will mm. I and perhaps that was success in itself to to keep things in in a, in a good survival mode yeah and enable you to be able to um yeah, find that within yourself. Yeah, I think so. To mm, want definitely to um, recover. Yeah, because you're not going to recover unless you want it. No. I think that covers all the questions we had. Yeah. Do, do either of you have any well, questions for us or anything else you'd like to say? Thank you for having us. Oh, no, <laughs> thank, thank you for you. the opportunity to. I think it's very share. important to get different perspectives. From people that we trust. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. It's been a real honour to have been asked. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pro that's probably us for today. Yeah. Um, As always, if this has brought up anything for you, just head to I'm not fine.podcast on Instagram. You can find links for Butterfly, EDV, EDQ, and Lifeline. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs>